Good afternoon and welcome to Talk of the Towns. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works and to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is aired on WERU Community Radio since 1993, dedicated to the proposition that everyone benefits if we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I'm your host, Ron Beard, hoping you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. And just a reminder that during the pandemic, we are recording this show in advance and won't be taking any calls today. Well, there's a long history of volunteer firefighters in the United States, going back to Ben Franklin setting up the first volunteer fire department in Philadelphia in 1736 after seeing some tragic fires in his native Boston. Uh, So today we're going to talk about uh, the the status of uh, volunteer firefighting in in some main communities. We're glad to have some folks with us in the studio, um, a virtual studio by Zoom um, that can help us with that discussion, as we, and especially as we talk about recruiting the next generation of volunteer firefighters. We have uh, Matt um, Dennison um, in the studio with us. Oh, I'm sorry, Stephan Blanchard in the studio with us um, from Blue Hill. Um, Ryan Hayward, um, Chief of the Stonington Fire Department. Um, Zach Sores is a volunteer firefighter uh, with the Bar Harbor Fire Department. He's joined by Cinder Johnson, also a volunteer firefighter and an EMT. And David Carter is the chief of the Sedgwick Fire Department. We hope we can be joined a little bit later by Brent Morey, the chief of the Deer Isle Fire Department. And I'll kind of keep track of that and uh, bring him into the conversation when he joins us. Perhaps each of you could um, start, maybe um, starting with uh, David, um, talk a little bit about your fire department. Uh, give us a little profile, if you would. Yes, the Cedric Fire Department uh, currently has 28 volunteers, uh, 14 of those are certified for interior attack. Uh, We have two stations, uh, six apparatus, uh, three pumper tankers, uh, one tanker, one wildfire truck, um, one rescue, and uh, we, uh, we serve the middle of the Blue Hill Peninsula, basically. How about Ryan um, down in Stonington? Give us a little thumbnail sketch of the fire department down there. Um, The Stonington Fire Department has four trucks. Uh, We have one pumper, one tanker, one pumper tanker, and a brush truck for forestry and for rescue. Um, Right now, we have currently nine members with the hopes of having one more being voted on Sunday. So that's a plus for us. And... Mm -hmm. We serve the tail end of the pig, you could say, on the peninsula. Uh, we don't have nothing but beyond us but water. <laughs> That's a good thing so, if you're fighting fires. It is in a sense, unless it's really low water. Right. So. <laughs> Stefan, let's go to you. Um, uh, talk a little bit about the Blue Hill uh, Fire Department. Yeah, so the Blue Hill Fire Department, we have about 30 members on a roster. Um, two-thirds of those are are active in that they're responding to calls. Um, of those 10 are interior attack certified. Um, we have one station right in downtown Blue Hill. We have four trucks, two um, pumper trucks, both with thousand gallons. We have a brush truck, and then we have a rescue truck with the jaws of life and that kind of stuff on it. Great. 
Right. Uh, Zach, sorry, it's uh, Bar Harbor. Give us a thumbnail sketch um, of, of your fire department. We uh, currently have 10 call firefighters. Um, some new people have applied recently, but they're not counted in that number. We have 13 full-time firefighters. Um, and as far as equipment, we have a tanker located at our, at our uh, Town Hill station, which is not manned. We have at our Bar Harbor station, a ladder truck, two engines, two rescues, and we also have a mass casualty trailer. Hmm. Cinder, what, um, what would you add to the description of Bar Harbor? Um, you're relatively new in the game, but um, you've probably had some observations. Yeah, I think that Bar Harbor is more unique than some of the smaller towns in that it is a combination department. So you have that dynamic of people who are always there and who are professionals and um, and the volunteers and um, and how how that plays out. But I think Zach did a great job. Zach, and I suppose Bar Harbor is um, in, in that um, unique in that um, the fire of 1947 really um um, woke people up to the dangers of, of a massive fire. And that probably added more um, impetus to having that kind of full-time fire department. Is that how you understand it as well? Yeah, that's how I understand it. I also think that um, it's kind of a good segue because we, we had a lot more volunteers back then and, and into the seventies, I recently heard a, a story from our chief that, there was a fire in town and there was a large number of people that showed up to that fire um, around. There were 54 active members at the time, 52 members responded and we just don't see those numbers anymore. So the numbers must have gone up from the 47 fire, but they have started going down quite a bit. Uh, Zach, most people will kind of um, have a, a sense of Bar Harbor. They probably visited. Um, anything else you want to say about Bar Harbor in terms of its uh, demography, its economy? Um, who, who, who lives in Bar Harbor these days? A lot of people um, in the <laughs> summer. Um, it's very touristy, um, slows down quite a bit in the winter. Um, we also respond to a, sections of Acadia National Park and um, as a recent MDI Islander article stated, the the visits this year could top four million. So we get quite a few people in the area. Um, in terms of local businesses, we have large places like the Lab, Jackson Lab, College of the Atlantic, but then we have hotels and then obviously residences in the area. It's a big mix. And and in terms of um, the who who your volunteer firefighters are, where do they come from? What kind of, what, what mix of, of folks can, can you uh, kind of describe there? I think recently, really anyone, we've got a, a mix of people that are just local year round residences. Um, and we also have a good number of call to the Atlantic students that are actually starting to apply to the department. So it's a good mix of people. And you were one of the, the, the first volunteers from um, College Atlantic. I think Rock Caivano, um, who passed away recently, but uh, he, he was on the far, volunteer fire department for many years. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. David, tell us a little bit about Sedgwick and, and kind of who lives there and, and how do they make their living and, and who ends up being a member of the volunteer fire department? Well, I think like Zach said, it's most anybody, um, Sedgwick is mostly residential, uh, don't have a lot of businesses in town. Um, the Sedgwick Fire Department was formed as a result of the Bar Harbor Fire. 
Really? Um, yes, it was formed in 1949, which was just after the Bahaba fire, as a result uh, of the Bahaba fire, which was uh, common for a lot of the smaller towns in Hancock County. Um, I believe Stonington and Deer Island and Blue Hill already had fire departments at that time, but a lot of the smaller towns did not have organized fire departments until the, after the Bahaba fire. Well, I've, I've I've seen a book that said um, the summer that Maine burned, and that yes. referred to the fact that conditions in, in 1947 were so dry. So yeah. it wasn't just the Bar Harbor fire. It was the recognition that we had, you know, um, the, the likelihood that there were going to be fire problems. Right. We have a good mix of personnel. Uh, we do share some of the personnel with Blue Hill and uh, Brooklyn and Brooksville, actually. We have people that are in more than one department um, and they're laborers, they're, you know, they're, they're contractors. It's a wide variety. It takes all, all kinds. Sure. Ryan, why don't you just, I mean, most people probably will have heard of Stonington that are listening to the broadcast, but uh, give us a thumbnail sketch of Stonington itself. Well, Stonington's pretty much known for the lobster capital and I mean, we've got roughly around 1,200 people that lives here year-round, right, right now on Deer Island, Stonington. And, of course, when summertime comes, that, that number will over-double with the amount of summer people that come to, to live here and stuff. Um, since COVID has hit, um, there's been an fluctuation of actually a lot of them moving here full-time um, and stuff. So the numbers actually have gone up enough in the last couple of years. So... Um, of course, we do have, you know, a major business down here, which is Billings Diesel, and that's probably the town's biggest employer of, of well over 100. Um, we do have a high school, you know, so that employs quite a lot, and, you know, other main, you know, small businesses and all, but nothing like a Bahab or anything like that, like like Zach has, but, you know, it's it's a nice little quaint little community, which a lot of people flock to, kind of same idea as Bahaba, so. Well, and, and what you, you raise, and I think all of you face this, is that um, with more and more people who are um, building summer homes, um, that increases the mix of the, of the fires that you might have to attend. And um, there are um, many winding roads that weren't there 20 years ago that get to these, these summer homes. And that must make uh, firefighting a little more difficult. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, there's a lot of roads and once you get off the, 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 the tide road, you could say, I mean, you don't know from one corner to the next what you're going to face on some of these hills and, and stuff, especially when it comes down to fall and winter time. Great. Um, uh, Stefan, give us a little uh, picture of, of Blue Hill as a community and, and uh, you may be able to say something about the, uh, the kind of folks who are uh, volunteering there in the Blue Hill Fire Department. Yeah, so Blue Hill, many of your listeners probably know, is sort of the, the biggest town on the peninsula. Um, I think we have 2,600 year-round residents. However, just like Deer Isle, Stonington, Cedric, and Bar Harbor, in the summer, it's probably, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but I imagine it's twice that, you know, or more. Um, the biggest um, sort of structures, we have the hospital, we have two middle schools, two high schools, um, we have a couple of boat yards. I'm just thinking about buildings that are important, um, not only to the town, but as far as a fire planning type stuff goes. 
Uh, we also have a, a retirement community called Parker Ridge, um, and they have many, many um, structures there. Um, one thing that we've learned sort of over the last, well, it's well known, but we're on the approach to the Trenton Airport as long as well as Surrey. So we've been to a few, you know, crash landing type calls um, over the last few years. Um, the volunteers, it's it's really made up of anyone who lives in this town. Um, I'm a real estate agent. We have an insurance agent. We have, you know, carpenters, cabinet makers, you know, just any anyone, everyone seems to be interested um, in the fire service. There's no, I don't think there's any um, profession outside of the fire service that necessarily lends itself better to the fire service. Um, so yeah, just a mix. Great. Well, we're happy to have uh, Brent Morey uh, with us now. Um, Brent is the chief um, at the Deer Isle Fire Department. Welcome to uh, Talk of the Towns. Glad you could be with us, Brent. Thank you. Perhaps you could start just um, uh, describe your fire department um, a little bit, um, kind of the makeup of the of the service, and then describe Deer Isle as a community. And that brings everybody up to speed in terms of where we are in the conversation. Uh, start with uh, describing your fire department. Our fire department is probably 12 to 14 members right now. Uh, it's, it's dwindled quite a bit in the last uh, oh, 15, 16 years. We were a complement of 35 or so at one point. Um, we run two pumpers. We run a tanker and a rescue. Um, we cover... I forget the square mileage, but it's not that much. We we have eighteen hundred year round residents, and probably three times that in the summer. Right. Uh, we have two schools. Um, uh, we had a nursing home. <laughs> right. Right. We may have another nursing home. Who knows? But uh, so I mean, you know, we we have a little bit of stuff to cover. Right. Brent, you mentioned that um, things have dwindled a little bit um, in terms of the, your numbers. Um, why do you suppose that is? Is it is it because um, you're having a hard time finding new volunteer fire department uh, folks, or what? What what do you think the story is? Yeah, that's the main thing. Is we're not finding replacements for the people that are retired. They're getting too old. Um, we had a, a big setback, if you want to call it that probably two or three years ago where we had three quarters, uh, not three quarters, but half to two thirds of our crew um, gave up their interior certification because they are in the fifties and sixties and either medical issues, uh, mostly medical issues, but uh, it, it's just, you know, we, we, our department is old. Yeah. Uh, we can't, retain what few people that we find come in and and look at joining the fire department uh if we get four or five or six we're lucky if we can retain one uh-huh. uh, mm, I, i'm only theorizing on my own account but there's a lot of them that that i'm interested in putting the time in uh a lot of them find that the time is more than they can handle even if they want to put it in it's just, you know, it's it's a lot for some of these younger people to take on. They got busy schedules. Sure. Yeah. In, in their own right. You know, what what do you consider important in your life? Sure. Uh, uh, so. Well, how did how did you get start started, Brent? Um, let's you know, tell the each of you <laughs> tell your own personal stories. What what led you to become involved in the fire department? We were burning. We uh, 
myself, my brother-in-law and a friend was been in a field. Yeah. Uh, the field got into a big juniper clump and we ended up burning three acres of cedar trees. That was my stat in the fight, apparently. Right there. <laughs> so, so <laughs> how to burn it before you learn how to put it out. <laughs> so, the, in in your case, it was guilt that brought. <laughs> kind of sorta, of, yeah, <laughs> something like that. Had had anybody else in your family uh, been involved in the fire department before you? Not before me. Uh-huh. Uh, I had a brother-in-law that was in the department before I was. He kind of got me in there after we had this whole episode. Sure. Uh, but no, not before. Yeah. Uh, David, after. David, how did you get started in, in firefighting? Uh, I was invited by a friend. I didn't have any family connections to the fire department, but I was invited by a friend and things evolved from there. And, and how long have you been uh, a part of the fire department? Uh, 36 years. Okay, so that's a commitment. That's a commitment. Yeah. yeah. Like Brent says, it is a big commitment, especially for the younger people who have families and and uh, especially in Deer Island, Stonington, a lot of those young guys are fishermen. And when they have to go fish, they have to go fish. And that I think that's a problem in the area. You know, it's the demand on young people. Sure. Ryan, how did you get started? Were any family members connected to the fire department before you? Well, I'm a third generation. Um, my great-grandfather, not my great-grandfather, my grandfather was on there and my father. And I was actually, as long as I could walk, I was at the fire department. Sure. Um, I was kind of like the little bad runt, you could say, <laughs> that always liked to be underfoot or anything like that. So, I mean, I'm kind of the the kid that grew up at the firehouse, you could say, because I was always there no matter what. I mean, I started, you know, fairly early helping them with grass burning in the springtime and stuff like that. And then when I finally became of age in 94, I was instant. I just knew I wanted to be on the fire department and, and stuff. And I'm right now. I'm the only one out of the three that's that's still active. Right, right. Stefan, how about you? What what led to your connection to the Blue Hill Fire Department? Um, yeah, so I was just mainly interested in driving a fire truck with red lights and sirens. <laughs> um, you know, right out of high school, I was eighteen. I was nineteen, maybe about twelve years ago. Um, walk down to the fire station and, you know, the Blue Hill Fire meets on Wednesday nights, still do. And, you know, I've been there ever since. So. Zach, um, Soares from, from Bar Harbor, how did you get involved? What what led to your um, volunteering? I had, a, I had a friend who was a volunteer and I just started asking him about it. And as the conversations went on and on over the years, I decided it was time. Um, the summer I started seriously thinking about it was the summer the portside grill burned in bar harbor right in downtown bar harbor and and i realized when that was happening that i wish i had been there during it and i was like well i guess there's something there and uh right after that happened that fall i started training uh fell in love with it and they sent me to academy within a few months and the rest is history. <laughs> Great. And and Cinder, what's your story? How did you get involved? 
Oh, that one I can actually blame on Zach. Uh, he got me roped into it. Um, yeah, I was just like, I was interested in learning about it. And I walked into his office and was asking questions. And he was like, oh, let's go talk to Chief. And so we did right then. And I put an application and started going to trainings. Great. And you're a, you're a recent student at College of Atlantic, or are you still a student? Uh, I've, I've graduated, but yes, yep. I was a student. Yeah. So that was your connection. Zach was was there um, on staff at the college, and he uh, he brought you down to, to visit the chief. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And had you had any previous kind of connection to firefighting before um, Zach kind of brought you down to the fire station? No, not, no one in my family or anything like that. But um, like I said, it was just something that I thought was cool and wanted to learn more about. Great. Well, let's talk about the process of, of becoming a firefighter. What's the, the training like? Um, um, and then, you know, what's it like to be a firefighter? What's the what's the, um, the, the kind of the volunteer commitment? Um, David, could we start with you and, and just describe how, you know, what you understand of, of the, the process of becoming a firefighter? Well, the process is pretty involved. Uh, the initial training uh, consists of requirements by the uh, main bureau labor standards uh, that each firefighter has to do. Uh, they have to have a physical and so on and so forth. Um, from there, they can choose kind of which route they go, uh, whether they want to be an interior firefighter or not. Um, some do, some don't. Uh, most of the young people do, and uh, some of them age out like Kind of like Brent and I are on the end. Uh, we still do interior if we have to, but uh, I'd rather see one of the young people do that. Um, then, and you're and you're saying that, and you're uh, David, you're saying that because of of the physical fitness requirement, the the stamina that's that's needed to do interior work. Why don't you tell a little bit about what the difference is um, uh, for those of us who who don't do it? Well, for interior. First of all, you've got about 80 pounds of equipment that you're carrying around that you don't normally carry around. Um, it's generally hot. It's it's hard work. It's hard physical work. Um, and, and I think that Brent and I both agree on that we can be more valuable um, on the fire ground doing something besides the interior tag. But we still do if we have to. Right. So, right. What's the difference in training? Um, you said that, um, and, and Ryan or, or Brent, you picked that up. What's the difference in training um, in terms of the interior versus um, the kind of the general firefighter? Ryan, why don't you get started and Brent can join in. Uh, your interior, you're, you're doing a lot of, you know, you could be doing search and rescue. Uh, you could be, well, you're going to be the one putting the fire out inside the building. Um, outside, you know, you could be doing, um, Shoot, my mind just went blank. Um, it's all right. Of the grounds, you know. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, things that you don't see that somebody else might see. Um, you know, down power line or something like that. You could be looking for. I mean, you could put in the fire out with a hose outside. I mean, you got ladders and stuff that that you could be using outside. I mean, there's there's a lot a lot of things that that go around. You know, either way. I mean, I mean, there's things that people can do that doesn't have to do with fire. I mean, if they want to join, I mean, we've got one online that, that loves to do like traffic control and things like that. I mean, she really doesn't want to do interior attack, which is totally fine. You know right. I mean? There's, there's lots of jobs on the fire department besides putting water on a fire. 
Sure. Uh, Brent, what would you add to that in terms of the difference between interior work and, and exterior work? The, I think the big difference is, is uh, the extremes. Uh, when you do an interior fire attack, it's hot. Uh, you've got turnout gear on that is supposed to keep the heat away from you. But in reverse of that, it keeps all the heat in. Uh, it, it passes through to some extent, but not like you should. Um, David said you got 80 pounds of, of uh, packs and turnout gear on. You're pulling ceilings. You're cutting down walls. Uh, you know, it's, it's just a lot of really physical work. Um, and, you know, again, when, when you get to the age that we are, um, that doesn't come easy anymore. You know, uh, you, you can pick up 100, 150 pounds when you're 30 years old. Uh, this old guy, 150 pounds, I can't even move it off the floor. <laughs> it just, it just doesn't work. Right. So it's kind of, it's kind of one of those deals. And when you go outside, you, you still got your turnout gear on. You have to have the safety outside also. But you know, and you're moving hoses, you're tugging and pulling like that. But you, you just don't have all that heat. Um, you don't have the major hazards. Uh, I don't know how many. Uh, the rest of us think about it, but you know, there's, there's a lot of things that can happen inside that uh, is really hard for you to overcome on your own, you know, backdrafts, flashovers, all that stuff that you have to pay attention to that don't come outdoors. Right. Um, you know. Well, let me just break in because I want to remind listeners that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns and we're talking about recruiting the next generation of volunteer firefighters in our coastal area. Um, you've just heard uh, from Brent Morey. He's the chief at the Deer Isle Fire Department. Uh, also on the program today are um, Stephen Blanchard from Blue Hill, Ryan Hayward, um, chief down in Stonington, Zach Sores, a volunteer firefighter in Bar Harbor, and Cinder Johnson, uh, uh, also in Bar Harbor, and David Carter, chief down in Stony in, in Sedgwick. I'm sorry. Um, so it sounds like there's a there's a job for almost anybody um, who wants to volunteer. So that that we think of you know that interior work as the as the core of, of firefighting. If you have to go inside, that's what it's all about. But what what I hear you saying is that there's many different different jobs. Stefan, what, um, how are you trained and, and what's your role in the fire department in Blue Hill? Um, well, me personally, I am interior attack certified. I did go to the um, Hancock County Fire Academy. Um, Firefighter one and two is what they call it, but it, you know, it's the basic one is the basic and two just adds on to that a little bit. Um, I'm a lieutenant on the Blue Hill Fire Department, um, but because we have not that many members, you know, everyone's role kind of jumps around. Um, so I might be doing traffic control. I might be pumping a truck, um, might be doing interior work and kind of to add on what the other folks were saying, you know, there's the training, the firefighter training that, that we all go through firefighter one, firefighter two. However, there's also a whole other category of trainings that people do throughout their time on the fire department, like learning to drive a fire truck. Um, there's a course called emergency vehicle operator training, or, you know, so you can learn EVOC. Um, you can learn to drive a fire truck. There's um, a very important job on every fire scene, which are the people who are driving the fire trucks and, and what we call pumping the fire trucks, making sure the water is, is getting to the fire. Um, there's a whole bunch of training that is involved with that. I know that 
you know, in Blue Hill, we don't do EMS, Peninsula Ambulance, which shares our station. They do the ambulance for the Blue Hill Peninsula. Um, but we do still assist. I think we went on about 33 EMS calls last year, and those would have been CPR calls or rescues. Um, so there is a, you know, most of our members are, they're not EMTs necessarily, but they do have first aid training. We do CPR training so we can assist the ambulance. So that's a whole category of calls that we go on. Um, you know, you can pretty much train forever. And I think, I think all of us do. Um, and probably about the time you learn something, you've forgotten most of it by the time the training comes around next year and you've learned something new. Um, so, yeah. Cinder, um, you play a, a dual role. Um, I understand you're an EMT as well as a volunteer firefighter. Um, how did you How did you make those choices? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely still some sort of this happy accident where I sort of just joined because of Zach and uh, started going to trainings. And then I realized that most of our calls are actually EMS calls. And that's one area that I could be helpful in. And so I, there was a grant funded EMT class a couple of years ago and I took it um, because we're also lacking EMTs. Um, and so, and then I just finished Academy this past August. So Fire Academy, which is our interior training. Um, and so, yeah, you just sort of, once you get into it, you kind of, kind of snowballs, I think, like you realize there's so much more to learn and so much more to do and so many different roles to fill that, uh, you sort of just keep doing it. <laughs> right, right. Zach, Zach, tell me about your training and uh, what, what, what uh, how you look at all of this. Um, well, I, I joined, as I said before, in the fall, and that's when Bar Harbor starts their um, training as a department. It's every two weeks, once, a night, once um, at night, you know, 6 p.m. after everybody's done at work. And, and that's where we just we work, learn to work as a group. We, we do the mandatory stuff, ladders and SCBA ops. Um, oh, but no, I think, you gotta, those are technical terms. You better explain those to our listeners. <laughs> ladders and basically just how to, how to move around with a mask on breathing air, just obstacle courses, things like that. Um, and I think, you know, those trainings are great because you don't want to be training during a fire. You want muscle memory to kick in and get things done as a group. So we learn how to work together and what people's strengths are and where you need to improve. Um, so I did that all that winter and um, the, our chief didn't want to wait to send me to Hancock Academy. So he shipped me off to the Penobscot Academy in August, which was a two week intensive Academy. And I was, I was certified. I, uh, it's it's a lot of work, but it's it's needed. We need to constantly train, make sure we know what we're doing. Mm. So so that um, talks of, in a little bit. You've you've all talked about both the initial training and the ongoing training. So um, if you could describe um, how much time you spend on a on an average month or an average week, um, give us a sense of of what your commitment is um, now. Let's start with Ryan. Um, what, what's a, a typical week look like for you in terms of your if, if there's no fire, um, but you you still got things to do in, at the fire department. We, we have two, two monthly trainings. Uh, we do once the first Sunday of the month and the third Sunday of the month. And them trainings average between two to four hours, uh, depending on what we're going to do for training. Um, like, like David said prior to, the, the mandatory trainings that the, the, they require us to have 
it's it's so much easier sometimes to do them all in one lump sum um, than, than try to break them up is is one whole training. Um, that way, if one, they're done, and two, you, you kind of keep a refresher of, because some of them kind of do mix together on a, to a point. Um, but when you start getting into summertime, your, your trainings can go longer because you got a lot more daylight. The, the temperatures are a lot warmer. So if you want to take a truck out, you can do whatever you want with it, not frayed with, with 30 degree temperatures and stuff like that. So your trainings kind of in the wintertime are a little bit different, you know, because you're doing more in-house stuff, you know, so. David, what would you add to that in terms of a, a typical week or a typical month for a volunteer firefighter in, in, the, in our area? Well, we, uh, we have a meeting the first Monday night of the month, um, and that usually runs a couple hours. Uh, that, that night, we also do our equipment checks. Uh, the air packs have to be checked uh, monthly in a volunteer department. And the apparatus is the same. Everything has to be checked to make sure it's ready for service. Um, the other three Monday nights of the month or four occasionally, um, we do at least two trainings. Um, and then sometimes we'll do a third training or a work session, depending on what needs to be done. If you, you've had a fire and you've had to dry hose, um, a lot of times we'll repack it on the trucks after it dries on a, on a work night. So, Brent, anything to add in terms of what a, a typical week or a typical month might, might look like for firefighters? We're close to those guys. I mean, we train three, three nights a month. And then the fourth one, we uh, have a work session to do our Scott certifications and uh, get our trucks all specced out, make sure everything's okay. So we're kind of in the same league. So Zach and Cinder, you're you're um, part of a, a kind of a blended uh, fire department. Is it any different um, for you folks in terms of the amount of time that you might spend uh, in a typical week or a typical month? Uh, Cinder, how much time do you spend? Um, do you suppose on a on a typical week? I think it's pretty comparable to what everyone else is saying. We do biweekly trainings that usually take about two hours. Um, in the evenings, like Zach said. And then we also do biweekly, uh, we check the tanker truck, which is in the town hall station. So it's the unmanned station. Um, but I would just also add, because we are also a full-time department, there's always people there. And it's, that's sort of, what I just said was sort of the minimum, but you're highly encouraged to go in and check the other trucks with them because they do that every day and uh, go over anything you have questions about. And so people are always there and always willing to teach you and to go over things with you. So, so minimum would be probably what I'm close to what everyone else is saying, but you can really become more involved if you want to. Sure. Zach, what would you add to that? And, and maybe talk a little bit about the, the role of the, the, uh, uh, the full-time uh, folks in the, in the Bar Harbor fire department. Um, I've been, I've been personally going once a week for a couple hours on Mondays just to get a little extra information and in, knowing where things are on the truck, memorizing them, checking to see if anything moved, memorizing that. Um, the, the role of the full-time personnel is they're, they're doing a lot of the checks. As Cinder mentioned, our Town Hill station, the, the call members do that check regularly, but the others are doing the other trucks, the full-time um, personnel. And we're encouraged to, to do that with them. Um, they're there training us when we show up and we want to learn more. So we have our 
bi-monthly trainings, but we really can go in there and learn anytime we have time and they have time to teach us. So um, the, the topic um, that we're getting at is, is recruiting the next generation. Um, maybe each of you could talk a little bit about um, where you feel like you've been successful in recruiting um, new firefighters and, and where some of the problems you've already alluded to the fact that um, I think uh, Brent was talking about the fact that, um, you know, people's lives are busy and uh, young families uh, have a lot of demands on them. Um, two income families are, are the norm these days. Um, but where have you had success? Um, what, what uh, can you tell me a story about uh, where you've been successful in recruiting a new, a couple of new firefighters, David, could we start with you? Yeah, well, we, uh, we've had some success in the past with recruiting some young people that were friends. And I, I think the, the chance of a person staying with you uh, is actually a little bit better if you, there's somebody else with them. Um, we recruited years ago um, quite a few real young guys as junior firefighters, actually. And, and Brent did the same thing. And we've actually retained quite a few of those through the years. Those guys are in their 40s now, so they're not actually spring chickens anymore. But they still, they've, they've become officers and they do, they still do our interior attack mostly for us. So um, that's, that's one thing we had good luck with for a while was in young people that had friends that wanted to join also. Okay. Ryan, where have you had some success in recruiting new firefighters? The, the last two, which including the one that will be voted on Sunday, um, the first one um, actually came across the call, and he called it in. And when we showed up, he was, you know, all, you know, he got interested right then and there. And the second guy, the one we're going to vote on Sunday, like I was saying, um, he wanted to do something for his community. Um, that's a hard thing to come across nowadays um, with some of the younger kids, too. Um, and it's kind of hard because he's he's in his late 40s and he wants to go full bore and and I'm you know encouraging anything that he wants to do. So that's. Yeah. Yeah, Stefan. Any any um, hints as to what it takes to recruit um, the next generation of firefighters? Yeah, well, I mean, it's definitely a challenge, and probably why we're having this conversation. We we do recruit younger people, um, kind of like David said, mostly friends of people who are on the department. Um, most of it's word of mouth, um, but the problem we have, which I think is probably the problem that a lot of people here have is we get someone right out of high school, maybe they're trying to figure out what to do and they might, they might be with us for a year. Um, then they go to college and maybe they don't come back. Maybe they can't afford to live in Blue Hill, which is getting expensive. Um, and I'm sure in Bar Harbor, it's, it's quite, quite expensive. Um, they, or they end up getting a job in Ellsworth, or we have some folks who work, um, well, our chief actually works off of Brooksville. Um, we have some members who work in Ellsworth. So, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of a combination of trying to find someone who's geographically available in that they're able to either live in the town or work in the town that the calls are happening in. Um, and 
since there aren't a ton of jobs for younger people, um, and a lot of our people are leaving, you know, we, we sort of get younger people, they leave, and then, and then someone like me maybe move back to the area and then continue on. And hopefully some of our younger people who have moved on will come back. Um, we do occasionally get some older people who are joining, um, but most of them are young. Most of our calls kind of moving a little bit off topic, but most of our calls are during the day. And because a lot of our members are working during the day and some of them have to drive to Ellsworth or something to work, you know, we end up having our, the most of our call volume at the time when we have the least amount of people available. Hmm. So it's a bit of a challenge. Um, and I don't think it's unique to Blue Hill. Right. Brent, what would you add to that in terms of any successes that you've had or any challenges particularly that we haven't talked about so far? I think, and this was quite a while ago, as David alluded to, young people um, back in the mid-90s, I think was the biggest success we had for a while. We had a a pretty good-sized junior firefighter program here. Um, I bet we had close to 10 to 15 kids. Um, That was one of our biggest successes. Uh, Out of that, we've managed to keep one. Uh, so that's not much of an excess right now, but, but I, I, I still, I still, uh, it meant a lot to us to do it. I have three full-time firefighters out of that crew. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, maybe Deer Isle didn't gain again, went back to the same thing. They don't stay in town. They're going somewhere else, but fire service wise, they're still contributing. But, uh, since then, uh, it's just, uh, one or two young people that, come together and they feed off each other and tend to stay together. Uh, we got a couple like that now, but um, with the COVID problem and whatnot, they're a little more sporadic than I would like to see them. Sure. They, plus they're going to school. They got to get through high school and that, but um, it's about the best we've had. Yeah. Zach, um, and what would you add to that? And, and, and perhaps talk about the role of the employer um, and, and the support that employers could give um, to people who choose to volunteer. Zach? Um, well, I've had success at COA, um, as Cinder said. Um, we also have um, you know, a large group of first-year students coming in that want to join right now. Um, close and, you re- and, you recruited your, and you recruited your president. Yeah, yeah. So the president of College of the Atlantic is now um, on the department. Um, I'm lucky to work there um, because they give me the time to go to calls. I think I, I've I've asked for it, and it was never an issue. So I, I think they understand that you know these are these are issues that we're going to that are issues in our community, and it could be my loved one, their loved one, friends. Um, so I'm lucky there is a role for the employer to play, to make time for their employees to be a part of this, this profession. Yeah. Um, so is, is this a conversation you're having within your town, um, about, uh, the, the future of, of volunteer firefighting? Do your um, boards of selectmen, uh, are they aware? Are the employers aware? Are the uh, property owners aware <laughs> of, of how important it is to have a really solid fire department? And, and uh, uh, are they able to help in any way? 
um, who, who could who could pick that up a little bit? Um, David, are, are folks in Sedgwick kind of aware of, of, of the status of the volunteer fire department? Yes, they are pretty much. Uh, one of our captain is, is a selectman. So okay. uh, we, we've got, they do have the information. Uh, we keep preaching that, you know, we need, we need people, we need funding, so on and so forth. And the town has always supported us really well. So. Sure. So that, I mean, that speaks to budget, I suppose, the town uh, budgeting for a fire department. Um, how about, um, as Zach said, are the uh, other employers in your communities um, aware? Um, Ryan, is 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 uh, Billings Diesel, you know, aware that you need firefighters and are they supportive? Well, I was going to kind of chime in. I mean, probably about 95% of every business down here is all, all four of it. Um, speaking of Billings, I mean, they have three guys that are employees down there. And, and if there's a call, they have no hesitant to saying they can go. Yeah. And, you know, and that, that's excellent. I mean, to do something like that. And like I said, I mean, with as much, you know, lack of members and stuff down here, there's no real bad issue of saying, no, you can't go. We need you here at work. Right. Right. Um, right. And, you know, so I'm sure probably a lot of other towns are the same way. I mean, you know, with, with volunteerism part of it. So yeah. Brent, what's the situation in, in, in Deer Isle? Are, are folks kind of aware that um, it's, it's really uh, kind of a, you're reaching a critical tipping point. Yeah. yeah pe- people are aware. Um, Cause I work off Island. I'm one of them. <laughs> poor people, sure. Uh, but it, it, speaking of the area itself, you know, uh, like Ryan said, I mean, I worked at Billings years ago. Billings not only let you go, but they pay you. Okay. Uh, Brooklyn Boatyard, where I do work, uh, we do the same. Uh, we pay any firefighter, no matter what town they're in. If they've got to go to a call, they're paid. Yeah. Um, it's it's just something that a lot of the bigger employers do. I can't speak for the the uh, small guys. It's a pretty good chunk of change it could be, you know, to cover people. But I very rarely hear anybody say that their employee won't let them go. I've heard right. of a few, but not right. many. Right. Uh, it's, it's, we get good support. <laughs> well, we're um, reaching um, towards the end of the, the hour. Um, we're talking about recruiting the next generation of volunteer firefighters. And um, you've just heard from uh, Brent Morey, um, chief in Deer Isle, Ryan Hayward, chief down in Stonington, uh, Stephen Blanchard at the Blue Hill Fire Department, David Carter, Chief at Sedgwick, and then we have both Zach Soares and Cinder Johnson, volunteer firefighters in Bar Harbor. Perhaps each of you could kind of um, round out our hour um, by telling a story, um, you know, a story that that really kind of cemented for you why why you're a firefighter, um, why you did this. Um, uh, Brent, could we start with you and just, you know, what is it you, you mentioned getting started because you had a fire that got out of control. I hope that's not the only story that you have about why it's important to become a a firefighter. I think after that, uh, as I said, my brother-in-law kind of got me into it. Uh, You, we were working on, they were working on building a new tanker uh, from an old uh, oil truck. Um, I'm mechanical. Uh, they get me into that. The, the, the function of the fire department and the different incidences you get into 
and figuring out how to how to get them done uh, safely, correctly. Um, you know, how do you how do you put out that fire? Uh, how do you when you come out of a fire, you have to sit down and you and you critique that thing and find out, OK, what would I have done different? It's it's just it's it's beating the dragon. So yeah. To speak. You know? Yeah. It, it's trying to figure out how to help people, um, yeah. you know, save their homes, save them, save their lives. Uh, one of the things we didn't talk about here that has a lot to do with all of us, I know, is vehicle extrication accidents. Uh, we do a ton of that stuff. Um, you know, how do you save lives? How do you get them out safe? Uh, how do you keep them safe? Uh, I think that means a lot to me. I'm sure it means a lot to all the rest of these people. Thanks. Um, wouldn't be in it so long if I had if that wasn't the case. Right. Cinder, you're kind of at the other end of the scale. Um, but uh, in your experience so far, what keeps you going? What what's what's important to you about the role of a volunteer fire department? Yeah, I think more so than anything we do in particular, what I've found the most valuable is the community that you're creating within the fire service. And you, it's really, a, it's really a family and it's a team and you work together and you've got this whole crew of people who've got your back, both on calls and off calls. And that's been really, really amazing and definitely the best part for me. Great. Zach, how about you? What, what, uh, what keeps you at it? What, what, tell a story if, you, if you've got a story, a particular story. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I don't know if I have a particular story. I think for me, um, it's every call. There's something that keeps me going. Um, I don't want bad things to happen, but when they do, I want to be there because of what I can help people with. Um, you know, being a small bit of good in a really bad situation, and that keeps me going. Um, mm. And it's usually the small interactions. It's not the big calls, you know, they're rewarding and you get stuff done and you help people. But those small calls, um, helping the EMS crew with lift assists and having someone thank you, um, that's, that keeps me going. Mm. Stefan, how about you? Have you got a story or, or um, a sense of, of what's, why it's so important for you? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some good calls. There's some bad calls. Sometimes we do save a building. Sometimes we don't, sometimes we save a life, sometimes we don't. Um, but I think, you know, being a volunteer fire, firefighter is just hugely impactful for your community. And the reality is if you don't go, nobody else, you know, if we don't go, nobody is coming. And that's what people maybe don't completely realize that if, if we're all at work or if there aren't any firefighters in a particular town for whatever reason, it might be shortages and someone calls 911, there's nobody else. Yeah, there might be mutual aid agreements and stuff like that. But the reason I go is just because someday it's going to be me or someday it might be my family. And I'm probably not going to be able to go to calls my whole life, but some people do. And when I get, when I'm, you know, needing a lift assist, I want some young guy who's going to come pick me up off the floor like I did for the last 25 years or well, however long I'll be in the fire department at that point. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's really the last line of defense. It's real life. You know, there's, there's definitely things that aren't um, pretty about it, particularly the bad car accidents. But if we don't go, it's not like a big city where they're just going to send the next fire truck from the next station. You know, it's, it's just us. So. Mm. Mm. 
Ryan, um, what what keeps you at it? Um, is there a story that you want to share? Well, not much as far as a story, but one one thing I will say is that you know when you're in the business for a long time and you have a sense of when you really want to get done, it all sounds from the heart. You got to have a passion to still want to do it. I mean, you when you first join, oh, you're gun ho. You want to play with all the brand new shiny toys and and all this type of stuff. And the more years you go through it, the more of the stuff that you've done, the more you might have taught somebody that's joined early or later on in your career. And when you get up into that, that age frame, when you say, you know, I've had enough, I think I've done it. You know what? That's when you decide you want to do. I'm in my personal opinion, I'm going to go as long as I can go. Like I said, I've been there since I could walk and <laughs> Hopefully I'm not the one wheeled out of the wheelchair when I'm decided to get done, but right. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm, you know, get to, to, to show some of these younger kids that's joined, you know, stuff that I've learned and passed on from what some of these other chiefs on here have taught me that, you know, how to, and like Stefan said, you know, saving someone from a car, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways to cut someone out of a car, but making sure you get them out of that car so that still, you know, safe and sound and stuff like that, that, that sets something precedence right there for yourself. Mm. And as you said, um, you age out, but there's still other roles that you can play. You don't have to go interior. Um, yeah. and, and, and your experience uh, really counts for something. And, and so as you, as you get less able to do the hard stuff, your brain is still working <laughs> and, yep. you know, you're able to contribute in that way. Yep. David, what would you add to this in terms of what it means to be a firefighter for you? I don't know that I can add a lot. I think everybody's covered it. It's sense of community is a big one. Um, and we become a, one big family. Um, mm. You know, some of my best friends I've met through the fire service. And, you know, Ryan and Brendan and I work really close together. Uh, we're, we're toned out the three departments for every call in the three towns. And uh, I consider them some of my best friends, but we, I think we all do it for, for the community. You know, um, we go to somebody's bad day and hopefully we can uh, do something to help them get through their bad day. So what, what, what question didn't I ask? Is there anything that, that uh, I, I should have asked that, and didn't? Um, we talked very briefly about mutual aid. Um, could somebody describe what that is and how that's actually helping um, you know, with, with the, the lack of individual volunteers in a town? You've got some support from other towns. David, could you start that? And then maybe we'd hear from some others. Yeah, um, mutual aid is imperative now um, with the shortage of volunteers that we all face, basically. Uh, we rely on each other more than we ever did before. Um, two years ago, uh, Ryan and Brent and I sat down and said, you know, we need to help each other. So like I said, we're, we're automatic. We're paged out with the same page. Uh, we, we don't always go to each other's calls but we're all there to back up each other if we're needed. We have a dispatcher that's in common to three departments who's invaluable to us. He, uh, he lets us know when each one of us needs help. Um, so mutual aid's a big part of it now. We work with Blue Hill really close. We, we work with all the towns really close. So it's, uh, 
Zach, how does how does mutual aid work um, down um, in the Mad Desert Island area? Well, I mean, just like any other town, even off off of MDI, towns just aren't able to meet the needs of their communities. So we cover for each other, um, which is great. But you know, we're we're also you know robbing Peter to pay Paul. You know when. When Southwest comes over and sends their people to Bar Harbor, Southwest doesn't have anyone anymore. And they're covering for Bar Harbor, so Bar Harbor can't cover for Southwest. So it's it's great that we do it, but it is um it's a band-aid. Mm-hmm. So the answer is is what you're already doing, and, and that's to tell tell your stories and to and to um give people a reason um to to uh you know, pick up the, the gear and, and, and go to work. And I really appreciate your um, doing that uh, today on Talk of the Towns. Anything anybody else wants to add before we um, close things down? I don't see anybody, but thank you so much. Uh, we've come to the end of the hour. Be sure and join us from four to five on the second Wednesday of each month for Talk of the Towns. Podcasts of our programs can be found in the archive section of the WERU website. If you've got comments or suggestions for new topics, please email news at weru.org. Please uh, tune in for our companion program, Coastal Conversations with Natalie Springle of the University of Maine Sea Grant, four to five on the fourth Friday of each month. Our theme music is a medley from Coronac on a Balmain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests um, here in the in uh, today's program, Zach Sores and Cinder Johnson from the Bar Harbor Fire Department, Brent Morey, Chief down in the Deer Isle Fire Department, Ryan Hayward um, 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 in Stonington. We have, we're joined by Stephen Blanchard, Blue Hill, and David Carter chief of the Sedgwick Fire Department. Thanks um, uh, to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for Ralph Nader Radio from 5 to 6 and Jazz Straight Ahead with Larry Stahlberg from 6 to 8. This is Ron Beard, producer and host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good afternoon.